But first, if out of The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Good morning, Pat, and thank you for inviting me on your show in this last week before Christmas. The last week before Christmas, but not an uneventful week. So many things to talk about. Let's get your reaction, first of all, to that arson in Galway over the weekend. It was absolutely horrific to see it. I've condemned it as of our representatives. And uh, I just want to say there's absolutely no place in Irish society for that sort of appalling violence. Unfortunately, Pat, as you know, it's not the first time we've seen what has been suspected arson attempts in other hotels and premises that were were apparently to be used for housing those who've come here to seek refuge. For Labour, I should say, we have a proud track record of standing in solidarity with people who come to our shores seeking refuge, standing in solidarity of supporting, I must say, government in the efforts to ensure accommodation for those who come seeking asylum. And that's really important. I think Minister Roderick O'Gorman has been, unfortunately, somewhat isolated within government. But just to pay tribute to him and to his officials who are doing their very best. I should say, Pat, I mean, this is something that's very personal for me. I'm from an immigrant, my family is from an immigrant background and my father, uh, my father's father came here uh, from the Czech Republic, from what was then Czechoslovakia in the 40s and re-established Waterford Glass after the war. So, you know, I think all of us should be conscious, as I, as, as I am certainly, of the immense positive contribution that immigrants have made to Irish society over so long. And I suppose also, you know, all of us have emigrants in our family too. We're a nation of Immigration. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for all of those reasons, we need to show a welcome to those who come here seeking refuge and the sort of hideous actions that we've seen from the far right and the sort of awful story around the burning of the hotel in Galway. That has to be condemned. Now, the question of why people are doing it, we've had some mutterings from various councillors saying, well, you know, part of the blame, if not the majority of the blame, has to go down to government policy by uh, bringing in large numbers of, for example, uh, young males to an area. Uh, where they are disproportionately represented, therefore, among the population. What do you say to that kind of argument? Do they have any point at all? No, I think it's most unhelpful and indeed dangerous for uh, government councillors in particular, and I've heard some comments from them who are suggesting that in some way the government are responsible for this. Uh, I think certainly uh, those of us in opposition have been critical of the lack of coordination across government departments. As I've said, certainly for Labour, we have consistently, since the outbreak of Russia's brutal invasion of Ukraine, we've consistently called on the government to ensure a cross-governmental approach and greater coordination in terms of seeking, uh, seeking accommodation for refugees. I've consistently called on the government, for example, to put into use uh, large empty premises like Bagot Street Hospital in my own constituency, like Jury's Hotel in Balls Bridge. We talked about that before and every time we get people from the opposition coming on quoting Bagot Street Hospital, uh, it would accommodate not even perhaps one week of Ukrainians, never mind those seeking international protection. I mean, so you do Bagot Street Hospital. Where's the Bagot Street Hospital for next week and the week after and the week after and the week after? Well, Pat, we've been putting down parliamentary questions from my office, seeking answers from government as to the extent of vacant premises across the country that are state-owned or that could be brought into state ownership and could be repurposed for refugee accommodation. And have you a list? We have. We've been, we've been gathering the data and some of it has been has gone into the public domain. For example, we've established that the HSE is a significant number of properties sitting idle, which could be some of which at least could be could and should be repurposed. In addition, we're conscious there are commercial properties that could be repurposed. And I'm very glad to hear Minister Gorman saying this morning that in the new year, uh, he and his department will be escalating and, and increasing the numbers of state-owned properties for uh, for accommodation of those who come seeking refuge, refuge. Because undoubtedly, there's been too much reliance on the private sector, and it has. 
been somewhat somewhat ad hoc. And, you know, again, I don't underestimate the scale of the challenge, but what we have to see is a cross-government approach and indeed a minister especially designated for the purpose of integration and, and for immigration policy. We need a fair immigration policy. And let's put it this way. We're all very conscious of shortages uh, across construction, across healthcare, across childcare, staff shortages in hospitality, restaurants, any small business owner I know in my own constituency telling me they're desperate for staff and yet we need, and yet we're not giving sufficient numbers of legal pathways for people to come here to share their experience and their skill and enhance our economy and our society in the way that my grandfather did through, and he brought in Czech craftsmen, craftspeople into Waterford Glass and that enhanced the economy and the society in Waterford and indeed nationally. So that's the sort of positive migration that we need to encourage, that we but, need uh, to... But Ukrainians we, have the right to work. Well, they do. And indeed, there's over 15,000 now in work. And again, if you travel around the country, as I do, uh, visiting our local reps around the country, we, we meet so many Ukrainians who are now working, giving skills, working in hospitality, working in, in professional jobs. Uh, and it's hugely welcome to see that. But what we're not, what but the government are not 200, doing... 200,000 people came here. Now, some of them, of course, are children. Many of them are... Uh, carers who cannot uh, find the time to, to work in the economy. These are 100,000 from Ukraine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, 15,000, do you think that's a, a good proportionate number then? I think uh, certainly there are many more and I've met many Ukrainians myself who would like to be able to work, who are working on improving their English and that's a barrier for some and for others, particularly as you say because so many are women with young children there are issues around childcare provision so we need to ensure that there's sufficient supports there to enable not just Ukrainian women but also others who need childcare and who can't get it to get into work but will I say, can I say this, the government need to in- increase the numbers of legal pathways for people to come here seeking work from outside the EU. I've called, for example, for government to increase the number of, of, of skills that in the construction sector, for example, which would enable people in, on the critical uh, skills list and where for visa would they purposes. Live? Wherever that people come from, we need to ensure people are working here. We've called for Where the, would they live? Well, again, you, this is a catch-22 and you're absolutely right to pinpoint this. We have a chronic housing shortage. We're all aware of that. There are 13,000 people homeless and that's a scandal, a national scandal. But we're also a country that has resources and should now be putting the resources into recruiting the skilled labour uh, from other countries if necessary to build the homes that are so badly needed. Because, Pat, every time I yeah. say to government, you need more ambition and more urgency on housing, they tell me the problem is labour shortage. Let's do something about that. Yeah, but Let's uh, encourage more people we used to, come. to We used to uh, joke during the Celtic Tiger years that uh, we had people, builders from Eastern Europe, Poland particularly, and other Eastern European countries mm-hmm. who were building the houses for the builders who were coming in from Poland to live in. In other words, uh, they, they actually... Uh, increased our population. We had therefore a, a greater demand on housing and so on. It was circular. But unfortunately, when you come into Ireland now... Uh, where do you live while you're building that house? Well, this is a huge problem and it's a huge problem at so all levels solution? of society. Well, we've called for government to adopt a much more ambitious and urgent programme of construction. So we put forward a programme for a million homes in 10 years, 50,000 new builds per year, upping from the government's own target of 30,000, tar- which the government tar- themselves tar- has targets said are too targets. Well, the, the implementation of the, uh, such a programme is the problem. You can have all the ambition in the world to have a million homes in 10 years or whatever. How do you do it? Well, again, Pat, 
that, we put forward a very clear costed proposal in our budget documentation and other documentation. We've put it to government. What needs to be done is the significant investment of resources in the land development agency, in planning reform to ensure, for example, a use it or lose it policy, because a lot of this is about repurposing vacant homes. So that's two ways. And then the third way, of course, is through that aggressive recruitment campaign for new for, for workers to come into construction. And I've pointed some, to some really exciting ways that this can be done. For example, through the sort of construction skills courses we're seeing run in my own constituency, which rapidly reskill people who are on the live register who may not have been in work for some time, reskill them to mm. enter construction sites at okay. a lower level. Um, so there are ways that can be done. And there's some very exciting ways. The ESRI have pointed to, for example, in new me- modern methods of construction and modular building, which can be done much more quickly. So I think the reality is, Pat, when we see targets set too low by government and a lack of ambition and a lack of urgency, that's contributing to this chronic mm. shortage. What is your view shortage. on the government's uh, proposal to reduce the uh, social welfare payments to €38 Euro, uh, after, uh, well, immediately, but limit accommodation to six months? I mean, is that something that you go along with, that we should not be always the best boy in class, but more the typical boy in the class. Well, this is specifically uh, the government proposal around those who arrive from Ukraine and the proposal is, I think, for a 90-day limit on state-provided accommodation and, as you say, to reduce the level of payment per week. Uh, And our concern is that this is not realistic because, again, there's going to be a huge problem for those who come fleeing the brutal war in Ukraine, a huge problem for them in finding private accommodation after that 90 days have elapsed. And we need to hear from government and I think we will But is that not the message that the government wants to put out uh, that there is no room at the inn here anymore, uh, that people who are already well established in other European countries they hear about the social welfare arrangements in Ireland they say let's go there, they've got maybe relatives and friends who've already come here and they are, if you like, uh, shopping for the best deal. Now I don't blame them I don't blame anyone in the world going for the best deal they can find in any country in which they are welcome but there is a disparity and if it turns out that we are disproportionately being visited by refugees for welfare benefits that we really need to readjust. What we absolutely need in our policy on migration and indeed our policy towards Ukrainians who've come here who are entitled to temporary protection under EU law, I think what we need to see is an evidence-based approach. And I haven't yet well, heard... what's your view well, on, on that well, business that I'm very in con- Belgium it's €38 Euro and here it's €230? Euro. I'm very concerned... What's not to like about here? Well, I'm very concerned at comparisons that don't take into account the greatly higher cost of living in Ireland. I think everyone in Ireland, anyone listening to your show will be well aware of the high cost of living here compared to other EU countries. So I think we need to be careful about drawing comparisons. Is it six comparisons. times though? Well, I think we need to be careful about drawing comparisons because indeed, I mentioned earlier the difficulty so many Ukrainian women I've met are facing in getting childcare support so that they can go and they want to work. Now, I have, I, every Ukrainian I've met wants to work and wants to contribute to Irish society. But there are issues around childcare in particular mm. and in other European countries we see heavily subsidised state provision of childcare, for example, that isn't reflected in the sort of comparison we've seen. So what what I'm going to do, Pat, is hear what the government have to say on this. But I am concerned that we haven't heard the evidence from them of the sort of point you make about secondary, uh, you know, pe- people coming here from other European countries rather than directly from Ukraine. We haven't seen evidence of that. And we're very concerned that the government are making this proposal, uh, an ungenerous proposal, without the evidence base. But I understand there will be an opportunity to debate this in the new year. Um, one of the complaints made by people, and not people who would uh, go out and torch a hotel or an accommodation centre, is that sometimes 
uh, what happens to the population in a small Irish town is that it becomes disproportionately laden with asylum seekers or refugees. What do you say to that argument that, you know, the hotel that used to serve them is now closed, so there's no facility? Um, some of the restaurants and bars, because the hotel is closed, because there's no accommodation, uh, don't do well anymore or don't even survive anymore. And that you've got an awful lot of people who've nothing to do hanging around the place who are, as I say, a disproportionate fraction of the population. I mean, if you were to have it in your Dublin Bay South con- constituency, how many do you think would have the same effect as... Uh, you know, 100 or 150 people in Uchtharard. Well, you, you'd have thousands and thousands, I've would you not? I've engaged very closely with the Department of Integration um, in response to uh, any housing for uh, re- for those who come here seeking refuge in my own constituency. And I'm glad to say, you know, recently we faced down the far right in my own constituency in Dublin 6. We established a Dublin 6 for all welcome group of local people who want to offer welcome and support to those who come but here. But how many, how many well, but, refugees and asylum seekers do you have if, in Dublin Bay South? If I, you know, because proportionate to other parts of the country, they would say Dublin is simply not doing enough. Well, let me say this. I agree with you. I think we need more in Dublin and in places where and in large urban centres. And that's why I've consistently pressed the government to put into use more of the large properties that are sitting vacant in my own constituency. I absolutely uh, stand over that. I think we do need to see more, more accommodation provided in Dublin and in the larger urban centres. Absolutely right. But I think the reality is that across the country, communities have been hugely welcoming in general to those who've come seeking refuge and to, this, and to asylum seekers. I have visited, I visited communities around the country with incredible, uh, incredible generosity of spirit and welcome. And unfortunately, what we're hearing in the news is a small disproportionate minority of, uh, of, of areas where we've seen some, some discontent. And a lot of it, Pat, has been fuelled by the far right. And the far right but labour... But are across, ordinary people well, not entitled to be a bit concerned? Is that... Cause, you articulate a concern in a small town where maybe they feel there is a disproportionate number of people being placed there by central government, not by the local councils, and they feel if they open their gob, they're a racist. And that may not be the case. They may have genuine concerns about the availability of schools or med- uh, medical facilities and so on, a GP even. And they feel maybe that uh, there's queue jumping going on for housing, all sorts of concerns which may or may not be well-founded but are they not entitled to articulate them? Well, that's why political political representatives need to show leadership on this and to allay fears, many of which are unfounded, many of which are fuelled by the far right. I did mention the cost of living crisis and undoubtedly there's pressure on services. There are, pre- there are many pressures, but many of those pressures stem from the shortage of skilled personnel, skilled people to work in services. You've mentioned GPs, Pat. I mentioned childcare, I mentioned construction and hospitality. We need people to come here to bring their skills, to bring their expertise, and to contribute to our society. And I think the reality is, as I've found with our D6 for All Welcome group, as I found engaging with local communities, that many unfounded fears are stoked and manipulated and orchestrated by the far right. And that needs to be challenged across the country. Um, Some of the comments coming in. I live in a town in the west of Ireland. My barber is a refugee, lovely lad with his own business. The town, though, is full of Irish lads shuffling in for their dole today, which they'll promptly drink away. The town is full of them. It's not the refugees that I worry about, says one. Uh, please take this liberal piffle off the air. Uh, Ivana Batchik is completely deluded as to the facts of the situation and the wishes of the people. A couple of suggestions. Put up uh, temporary builders' accommodation on land near the building sites for guest workers. It's done on building sites all over the world. It's easy. It's easy. 
If you want to invite skilled construction workers here, you should build special temporary accommodation, which is built near the sites like they do in Norway and Sweden, which are very comfortable. I've worked there several times over the lean years here. That's an interesting point. And I mean, there are, as I said, we are a nation traditionally of emigrants and a huge number of Irish labourers went abroad. Irish Irish workers built much of the infrastructure in Britain, uh, a lot of it in America too. So I think, you know, we, we, we can learn from that and understand, therefore, that when we need skills here, we also need to welcome people here to work. And there are creative ways we can accommodate workers and uh, and, mm. and people. But who, who is our planning it. situation, you know, you want to put down temporary accommodation, you want to put down mobile homes, for example, so they as they have down at the seaside resources you uh, resorts you want to put them there for uh, the the workers and how long would it take to get permission to do that? Well, one of the things that we've been pushing for in recent weeks, Pat, as you'll know, is for a proper reform of the planning system. And indeed, I called out some serious concerns around around current gaps in our planning law. And I do think we need to see a really radical change to enable, for example, much swifter use of compulsory mm. purchase orders by local authorities and much stronger action on vacancy and dereliction. We've been running a national campaign for Labour on vacancy and dereliction. It's a blight on communities across the country. We see empty homes and empty buildings sitting in urban and rural settings around the country that could and should be repurposed. And again, we're not seeing enough swift action from government on that. Uh, This one from Liam, on training and skilling employing emigrants, it sounds very good. What about training, upskilling and getting our own unemployed off the dole and the benefit gravy train first? What do you say to that? Well, the construction skills course I mentioned, just to respond to your listener, is about the the and I've been down there, Pat. Indeed, I was proud to give the uh, the to, to preside at a graduation for the uh, those who'd come off it, and they were people taken off the live register here. Uh, some Irish, some some from other countries, but but it, the point about that course is that it shows how creatively it can be done. Is there an unemployable people. cohort, generational unemployment? They've never worked. They regard the state as, uh, if you like, their total source of income and accommodation. Is there a a cohort there that really need to be somehow reformed and educated? And I don't know how you do it, by the way. I don't know how you do it when it's generational unemployment. Um, I don't believe anyone is beyond redemption. I think everyone is employable. And it's about finding the right supports. Mm. I've always Um, believed Finally, we should ask you about the Labour Party. Yes, of course. I mean, everything you've said is, of course, embodying Labour Party policy. But the question of the polls and how optimistic you could ever be being outflanked by other minority parties, if you like, in opposition. Well, I'm proud to lead a party that's the oldest political party in the state. That's the only opposition party that has ever served in government. A party that stands for equality and has always stood for equality, Pat. Uh, A party that stands for the building of homes, the delivery of childcare, tackling climate, uh, tackling the climate crisis that we face and protecting and supporting workers. We've always represented the trade union movement. We've always stood for workers' rights and we'll continue to do that. If I had uh, listened to uh, national polls, I would never have stood for Labour in the by-election in 2020. We were written off in that. It was supposed to be a contest between Fine Gael and Sinn Féin. Uh, but what we saw in that election was an appetite for a constructive message of change, a centre-left vision that was a different pathway to the offerings from, uh, from right and from, um, from popu- and from the populist side. And we, and we really won through with that, I think, by appealing to people with our message of constructive change. What's your ambition? Change. What number of seats would you hope to get? Well, I want to see an improvement, clearly. And we're currently recruiting. We've got, uh, if any of your listeners are interested in joining Labour, in joining 
joining our party that stands for equality, solidarity and fairness. We are recruiting around the country. We've already selected uh, over 50 candidates for the local elections and we will be running over 100 candidates in the local elections in June. And of course, we'll be ready and waiting for the uh, general election whenever that may be. But we anticipate it might be within the next 12 months. And of course, I should say, we'll be running a candidate in each of the European constituencies as well. We're very anxious, Pat. We've talked about the far right. We're very anxious that Labour would uh, be represented in the European Parliament because we need to have an MEP from Ireland in the socialist group, at least partially, to tackle and challenge the growth of the far right across Europe, which is so frightening and so distressing. It's at this time that we need a Labour message and we need that Labour vision more than ever. And I'm really proud to be leading a party that can deliver that. Ivana Bacic, leader of the Labour Party, TD for Dublin Bay South. Thank you very much for joining us. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.